Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our Primavera match against Cagliari on Saturday the 16th of April. In part two, I'll review our second Primavera match, which was against Roma on Wednesday the 20th of April. And in part three, I will preview our match against Empoli on Sunday. So let's begin with the Primavera match against Cagliari. Cagliari came into this match sitting second from the top of the table. That was on the back of a run where Cagliari won four of their previous five matches. The one loss was a wild match against Atalanta where Cagliari came back from 3-1 down only to concede the winner in the 89th minute. They were seven points back of Roma and only one point clear of Inter in third. The top two teams skipped the playoff and go straight to the final phase of the championship tournament, so there was plenty for Cagliari to play for in this match. Cagliari's most dangerous player is Jacopo Desogus, who had scored seven goals to go with four assists in only 20 appearances this season. Though he didn't contribute a goal or an assist in Cagliari's previous match, which was against Torino, he had four goals and two assists in his previous three matches. Meanwhile, we came into this match fully entrenched in a battle for survival. Lecce pulled within one point after we drew Inter and they beat Fiorentina in the previous round, and they had a game in hand. That game in hand was played against Juventus midweek, and somehow they managed a 1-1 draw. I swear, whenever a direct rival plays against Juventus, they somehow seem to get the results. Just recently, we saw Hellas Verona beat Juventus to move ahead of us in the table as well. That put Lecce level with us on 33 points, but they moved ahead of us because they have the head-to-head advantage. 
Meanwhile, Hellas Verona were one point ahead of us, Genoa were two points ahead of us, and both Bologna and Empoli were three points ahead of us. Fortunately, with Benedetto Barba returning from suspension, Nicolo Frustalupi had a full squad at his disposal, so with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Cagliari lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Andrea Daniello in goal, Yurie, Yovu, and Luigi Palombo started at centre-back, Valerio Secchi started at left-back and Francesco Zalu started at right-back, Bruno Conti and Nicolo Cavuoti started in the double pivot, Jacopo Desugu started on the left wing and Zito Luvumbo started on the right wing, Lisandro Tramoni started in the number 10, and Luca Galliano played at striker. For Napoli, Frustalupi made only one change to the squad that he fielded against Inter. He lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 formation with Huberti Dasiak in goal, Benedetto Barba started over Pasquale Pontillo in the back three, alongside Davide Costanzo and Daniel Hisai. Gennaro Iaccherino got his second consecutive start in the center of the midfield alongside Coli Sacco. Davide Acampa also got his second consecutive start at left wing back. And Giuseppe D'Agostino started again at right wing back. Alessandro Spavone and Antonio Vergara started as the two trequartisti. And finally, Giuseppe Ambrosino started at striker. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. I thought the first half was fairly even, the only thing that separated the two sides was a penalty conceded by Napoli in the 15th minute, and it was one that should have been avoided. The play started with Secchi and Dasugus passing their way down the left wing. Dasugus played an incisive pass to Galliano at the edge of the area. He made a very clever touch into the area and showed his side just enough of the ball to make him think he could get there. Hisai went for the slide tackle, but Galliano nipped in just before Hisai got there, so the official, who was well positioned to see the play, had no choice but to award the penalty when the two players collided. Now, I'm sure Frustalupi had a conversation with Hisai after the match because that was not a wise decision. It was a high-risk play with very little reward. If Hisai lets Galliano go there, all he does is dribble towards the byline, and Napoli had plenty of players in the area to defend the cross. Instead, Hisai conceded the penalty just inside the left corner of the area. This was the third time in our last five matches that we've conceded a penalty. First, we conceded a penalty in our 1-1 draw to Sassuolo, and then we conceded a penalty against Inter in the last round, which was another 1-1 draw. That's potentially four points dropped over those two matches alone, so these penalties are really starting to cost us. Desugu stepped up and calmly placed his shot into the bottom right corner of the goal to give Cagliari a 1-0 lead. I thought Cagliari's two wingers, Desugus and Luvumbo, were causing the most problems for our defenders in the first half. Desugus nearly scored with the final kick of the half. Costanzo cleared Tramoni's cross straight to Desugus. He cut to his left before shooting low, but he side did well to make the block. Desugus may have been better off shooting first time instead of taking the extra touch. Meanwhile, Luvumbo was causing problems with his pace. He was constantly bursting forward on the right wing, looking to cross the ball. He often found a teammate in the area, but credit to our defenders, they constantly put their bodies in the way of Cagliari's shots. In fact, both sides blocked a number of shots in the first half. Our most threatening player, as you might have guessed, was Ambrosino. He had a couple of shots on target and a couple more that were blocked. In the 28th minute, Acampa did well to break up a Cagliari attack in our own area. Then he switched the play to D'Agostino to start the break. D'Agostino carried through the midfield toward the top of the Cagliari box before passing to Ambrosino on his right. Ambrosino touched the ball to his right and then struck the ball really well, 
but then Yellow pushed the shot away. Despite having his hands full with Luvumbo, I thought Akampa had a solid performance. He doesn't start often, which I suspect is because he lacks pace and you need to have pace to play as a wingback, but I thought this was Akampa's best performance this season. Then in the 36th minute, Vergara was really strong on the ball to fend off numerous tackles from Cavuoti before laying it off Tambrosino. He shot low and hard from just outside the area, but Daniello got down to make the save. Vergara also had a strong performance as he always seems to do. The three of them combined to create an excellent chance in the dying minutes of the half. Acampa played a throw in Tambrosino and he passed it right back. Then Acampa played the ball to Vergara down the line and he flicked it on Tambrosino. The striker cut to his right, dribbled into the area and went for goal but Yovu came across to make the block. So both sides had their chances in the half but Cagliari went into the break up a goal to nil. The second half was very similar to the first in the sense that both teams continued to play well and both teams progressed the ball forward. Both looked very technically sound and what I mean by that is in the Primavera you do tend to see more errors but in this match neither team made that many errors. The passing was clean and the movement off the ball was excellent so it really felt like I was watching a Serie A match. Like in the first half both teams were progressing the ball well but both teams also defended very well which meant the scoring chances and shots on target were few and far between. Like in the first half, Ambrosino was the most threatening player for Napoli and Luvumbo was the most threatening player for Cagliari. They basically alternated scoring chances throughout the half. Only 45 seconds into the half, Luvumbo picked out Galliano with a cross from the right wing, but Galliano didn't make good contact on the header and Idasiak made the easy save. In the 51st minute, Spavone played a long ball to Ambrosino on the left wing. Ambrosino, Iaccherino and Vergara all showed great skill in a tight space before Acampa played a dangerous ball to the second post but somehow it got through the crowd and nothing came of it. A few minutes later, Luvumbo dribbled past Spavone on the right side of the area but Idasiak made himself big and stopped the shot from a tight angle. Then only two minutes after that chance, Acampa played a throw in Tambrosino at midfield. He carried the ball straight down the middle of the park before attempting a tiragiro but the shot finished high and wide. About midway through the half, Chofi was dispossessed by Cavuoti in the Cagliari half. He played the ball to Luvumbo on the right wing. He carried all the way into the area, but Costanzo shifted over and made the block. Those two players combined again two minutes later. Luvumbo and Cavuoti played a give and go before Luvumbo shot from distance, but this time Idasiak made the easy save. As you can see, both sides were putting themselves in good positions to shoot, but neither created many clear-cut chances to score. Cagliari seemed content to sit back and defend their lead, so Napoli had a good amount of the ball while Cagliari waited for the opportunity to strike on the counter. The first clear-cut chance of the half came in the 71st minute after Hisai made a rare foray forward and played a poor ball out wide to D'Agostino. Sechi slid to intercept the pass and in one motion played an outlet to substitute Steve Yankin on the left wing. Yankin carried the ball into the final third before picking out Luvumbo in the area. He made a lovely dribble to get past Barba and to open up the shot on his favored left foot. Fortunately, the low hard shot finished just wide of the far post. Perhaps that was a sign of things to come because less than 10 minutes later, Luvumbo finally put his name on the score sheet. Chofi dribbled into what seemed like a sea of red and blue shirts at the edge of the Cagliari area. He was dispossessed by Conti before Cavuoti played an outlet pass to Luvumbo. Luvumbo made a gorgeous dummy to let the ball roll past Costanzo. It seemed like Costanzo had plenty of time to get to the ball and that he didn't need to slide for it, however, 
he did slide for it, and he came up just short. Luvumbo collected the ball and carried it into the area from the right wing. He made a sharp cut to his left to get past Hisai, and then blasted the ball into the bottom corner. That made the score 2-0, and Cagliari nearly added a third shortly thereafter. Once again, Luvumbo was involved. His shot took a deflection off Costanzo and finished on the roof of the goal for a Cagliari corner kick. Conti crossed to the near post where Yonu headed the ball down into the ground. It bounced back up towards the top corner, but Idasic made a fantastic save to keep the score 2-0. Costanzo appeared to injure himself blocking that shot, so he was amongst the players to be removed in a triple substitution by Frustalupi. Yaccherino and Vergara were the other players to come off, while Enrico Giannini, Antonio Pesce, and Francesco Gioielli were the players to come on. But it was another substitute, Matteo Marquisano, who had the greatest impact. He replaced Acampa earlier in the match, and with about 5 minutes left to play, he drew a foul just outside the right side of the area. Napoli ran a set piece. We lined up as if we were going to cross the ball into the area, but instead D'Agostino played a pass on the ground to Ambrosino. Sechi attempted to clear the ball, but Ambrosino nipped in, and Sechi kicked him on the back of the leg, so the official correctly awarded the penalty. Ambrosino went for power and scored his 15th goal of the season, so he remained top of the race for Capocannoniere. That made the score 2-1, and it looked like the Azzurini might pull off the comeback. We were all over Cagliari in the final few minutes of the match. We nearly found the equalizer in the second minute of stoppage time. Marquisano played a vertical pass to D'Agostino at the edge of the area. He played a diagonal ball to Pesha on the right side of the area, and Pesha put a decent effort on target. The shot from a tight angle was directed towards the far post, but Daniello did really well to get low and make the save with his right hand. That was unfortunately the final chance of the match, which finished 2-1 in favor of Cagliari. With the loss, we extended our winless streak to 8 matches. We had also only won 1 of our last 14 matches. Meanwhile, the other results from the round were not great for us either. There was no real bad result for us in the Empoli-Bologna match since they are both direct rivals. Empoli won, so they extended the gap between us to 6 points but that also meant that Bologna remained on 36 points or 3 points ahead of us. Hellas Verona beat Sassuolo to move up to 37 points. Lecce managed a draw against Inter to move 1 point clear of us, so the only good result for us was Genoa's 4-0 loss at the hands of Inter. So to summarize, Hellas Verona 37, Bologna 36, Genoa 35, Lecce 34, and Napoli 33, with Lecce and Napoli in the relegation playout positions. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll review our midweek Primavera fixture against Roma. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. Next, let's move on to our Primavera match, which was against Roma on Wednesday. Roma came into this match sitting at the top of the Primavera Uno table, where they have been since the very beginning of the season. 
However, they've been much more vulnerable in the second half of the season than they were in the first half. Roma were practically unstoppable in the first half of the season. They started unbeaten in their first 15 matches, and they only lost one of their first 20. After match day 20, Roma were 7 points clear of 2nd place Cagliari. Since then, they've had 5 wins, 2 draws, and 3 losses, which is 6th in the league in terms of the form table. Fortunately for them, the teams below them in the table have dropped their share of points as well, so they came into this match 5 points clear of 2nd place Inter. That was also because Roma seemed to have recovered their form leading up to this match. They won 3 straight matches, and they did not concede a goal in any of them. Meanwhile, as we talked about in part 1, Napoli's dreadful second half of the season continued with our loss to Cagliari. There were no player news to report ahead of this match, so we can go straight to the starting lineups. Roma lined up in a 3-4-1-2 formation with Davide Mastrantonio in goal. Maisa Indaia, Raul Morichelli, and Javier Vicario started at centre-back. Giacomo Faticanti and Benjamin Tahirovic started in the centre of the midfield, with Yuri Rocchetti to their left and Quarantin Luakima to their right. Christian Volpato played as the trequartista, and Antonio Satriano and Luigi Cherubini started as the dual strikers. For Napoli, Nicolo Frustalupi used the exact same squad that he fielded against Cagliari. On paper, he lined up in a 3-5-2, but in practice, it looked no different than his usual 3-4-2-1 formation with Huberti Dasek in goal. Davide Costanzo, Daniel Hisai, and Benedetto Barba lined up as the back three. Coli Sacco and Gennaro Iaccarino started in the center of the midfield with Davide Acampa to their left and Giuseppe D'Agostino to their right. Antonio Cioffi and Antonio Vergara played as the two trequartisti, and Giuseppe Ambrosino started at striker. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. I could immediately see why Roma have been at the top of the table all season long. They have quality players up and down their squad and it really showed in the way they play. They're very organized, they're very patient on the ball, they move the ball around and progress the ball really well, but they don't force the play. If the pass isn't on, they turn back and restart the action. When you put all of that together, it means Roma are going to create a lot of quality opportunities to score. It didn't take long for them to get their first shot on target. Tahirovic tested Idasek with a shot from about 30 yards out, but the Polish keeper made the catch. Credit to Napoli and Frustalupi though, we did not look like a team fighting for survival playing against the team at the top of the table. It was clear to me that Frustalupi instructed our boys to press high, to counter press, and most importantly to play our game regardless of the opponent. We were rewarded for that play in the 12th minute. After winning two or three consecutive second balls, Vergara crossed the ball towards Ambrosino at the second post. It looked like Indaya would head the ball clear, but somehow it got past him. Ambrosino did really well to stay focused and control the pass, considering that he would have expected Indaya to intercept the pass. Then he cut to his right to dribble past Indaya before firing a low shot between Master Antonio and a sliding Morichelli and into the back of the goal. That was Ambrosino's 16th goal of the season, so he continues to lead the race for Capo Canoniere. That is just remarkable for a player on a team that's fighting for survival. Napoli nearly doubled their lead a few minutes later, and again it started with Napoli pressing to win the ball back. Sacco played a long ball to Ambrosino towards the corner on the right wing. He turned back to D'Agostino, who cut to his left before shooting towards the bottom corner, but Mastro Antonio made the save. Then on the ensuing corner kick, Barba won the header but he could not keep the ball down and it finished over the bar. After that, Roma began to take over but Napoli defended really well and limited their chances. 
Luakima was Roma's biggest threat on the right wing, but either he overhit his crosses or he showed Idasek too much of the ball and the keeper was able to intercept the passes. Roma's first clear-cut opportunity did not come until the 39th minute, but we saw the quality in the build-up. The action started with Mastrantonio and Roma worked their way up the pitch. Nine passes later, Fatih Kanti teed up Tahirovic at the edge of the area. He hit the ball first time with his left and at first I thought Idasek made a ridiculous save, but Napoli were awarded a goal kick so the curling shot must have hit the outside of the upright. Roma got another decent chance a few minutes later after Satriano did really well first to control a hard pass from the left side with his back to the goal, and second to turn and shoot with accuracy towards the bottom corner. However, Idasic was well positioned so in the end, it was an easy save for the Napoli keeper. Napoli were not to be outdone though, Chofi had a couple of chances before the break. First he had a Tiragiro that didn't miss by much, then after he made a great run in transition he won a corner kick. Trophy took the corner himself and though he didn't play a great ball it somehow bounced through the area. All it needed was a touch and Napoli would have doubled their lead. Instead we went into the break up a goal to nil. Now the second half was basically one way traffic with Napoli defending wave after wave of attack. We did have one clear cut opportunity to score on the counter attack about midway through the half. Vergara launched the ball long for Ambrosino. He did well to get in front of Matty Kelly and made a brilliant touch with his chest to get clear on goal. He had only Mastrantonio to beat but the keeper closed the angle and made an excellent save on the shot towards the bottom corner. That may have been our only chance of the half but it was probably the best chance for either side. Roma were pushing forward but they didn't really create many high probability chances. There were a lot of shots from outside the area and a lot of crosses from the wings. But the reason Roma didn't create many high probability chances was because of how well we defended. We forced Roma to the wings and Huberti Dasek was an absolute beast in the air. I've said it before and I'll say it again, if you put the ball in his vicinity, in all likelihood he is going to claim it. He did have a few hairy moments where he dropped the ball but there was always a Napoli player there to clear the danger, whether it was Iaccarino or Costanzo or someone else. I am really high on Idasek. He's 20 years old which means if I'm not mistaken this is his last season in the Primavera. He may be able to play one more season because he was born in February but I think he could well end up with the senior team next season. In all likelihood we're only going to have one of David Ospina and Alex Meret next season. We know that Davide Marfella isn't very good and for the Nikita Contini fans out there he hasn't exactly impressed on loan at Crotone in Serie B. In fact he only played 7 games in the first half of the season so we loaned him to Regina in January but both Crotone and Regina are in the relegation zone with only 3 matches remaining in the Serie B campaign. Another player that really impressed me was Giuseppe D'Agostino. I thought he was just covering for Marquisano and Giannini while they were injured, but it seems like Frustalupi is actually converting him into a wingback, and I thought he did really well in this match, particularly from a defensive standpoint. Now, Roma did have a couple of opportunities to score in the second half. Early in the half, Volpato got past Costanzo with some fancy footwork, but Idasiak stopped the shot. In the 57th minute, Cherubini got open on the left side of the area, but Hisai made a sliding block, and if he didn't, Idasek was there as well. Now, the Roma fans in attendance wanted a penalty kick for handball, and looking at the replay, I think they might have had a case. Fortunately, in the Primavera, there is no VAR, so play continued. In the 72nd minute, Roma progressed the ball from one end to the other again, before it eventually arrived at the feet of Fatih Kanti outside the area. He played a low, hard, incisive pass to Padula in the area. Padula played a quick give and go with Volpato, dribbled past Hisai and shot from close range, 
but Idasic made the save again. In the dying minutes of the match, substitute Claudio Cassano played a cross from the left wing to the second post. This was a rare instance where Idasic misread the cross of Volpato had a free header, but he missed the goal. Finally, in the second minute of stoppage time, Cherubini hit a volley from the edge of the area, but once again, Idasic was up to the task. Now things got a little bit heated near the end of the match with Roma clearly frustrated by their inability to score. In the 91st minute, there was a bit of a scrum after Costanzo fouled Volpato around midfield. Sacco looked like he was trying to break up the scrum when Morichelli shoved him to the ground, but somehow both players were cautioned on the play, which I thought was pretty harsh on Sacco. Then, in the 93rd minute, Christian Padula's cross bounced dangerously in the area. Marquisano chested the ball to Idasic before he was fouled by Morichelli. To be honest, I don't think there was much of a foul there, but Barba got in the face of Morichelli, who retaliated by headbutting him. Morichelli was immediately and deservedly shown a direct red card for that retaliation. You simply cannot do that. Finally, there was a melee after the match, but fortunately nobody got hurt. So in the end, Napoli held on for a massive, massive win over the league leaders. Perhaps there are a couple of things that the senior team could learn from this result, where Napoli successfully defended an early 1-0 lead against Roma. First, Frustalupi made 5 changes, but they were basically all like-for-like -like substitutions. He did not change his formation. And second, the players showed a ton of heart and a ton of character. They were literally willing to fight for each other in this match. Meanwhile, Lecce lost 1-0 to Inter and Genoa lost 1-0 to Atalanta, so we leapfrogged both of those teams to get out of the relegation playout zone. Bologna beat Torino and Milan were upset by Pescara, so we're 3 points behind both of them and Empoli, who have a game in hand against Juventus. Finally, Hellas Verona got another impressive result against a top team, this time they drew Cagliari, so they are 2 points clear of us. We are by no means in the clear, but I did not expect us to take 4 points in 3 matches against the top 3 sides in Primavera Uno. The Azzurini will be back in action bright and early on Saturday, so by the time you hear this, that match will probably already have been played. That match is against Fiorentina. Then we close the season with 3 very winnable and important matches against Genoa, Spal, and Hellas Verona. That will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll return to the senior team and preview the match on Sunday against Empoli. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to part 3 of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a quick preview of our match on Sunday against Empoli. Empoli comes into this match sitting 14th in the table, a comfortable 12 points clear of the relegation zone. That's quite remarkable when you consider that Empoli have not recorded a single win in their last 16 matches. That's the longest active winless streak of any club in the top 5 European leagues, no Serie A club has ever avoided relegation without winning a single match in the Girone Ritorno. Credit to Lega Serie A for those stats, and for many others that I'll reference in this preview. 
In fact, the last time Empoli won a match was their 1-0 victory against Napoli at the Maradona. Of course, that was a very different looking Napoli squad. None of Koulibaly, Lobotka, Fabian or Osimen were available for that match. Anguissa and Insigne both started on the bench having just returned from injury. But we were forced to put Insigne on midway through the first half because Zielinski was having trouble breathing. Elmas started on the left wing over Insigne and he picked up an injury late in the match as well. Now, I'm not making excuses because even with all of those injuries, we probably should have still won at home, if not at least drawn that match against Empoli. That was the point Gianluca made in our Roma review episode, but I think it's worth reminding everyone that it was still a fairly dominant performance. I think most of our fans look back at that result and only see the result without considering how the match went. Now, I know at the end of the day, the result is all that matters, but this was one of those matches where if you replayed it 10 times, we probably would have won the other 9. Aside from all those injuries, we played on short rest having played against Leicester City midweek, Empoli were healthy, and they were in much better form at the time. Even still, we outshot Empoli 28-12, we had 60% of the ball, and the XG for the match was 1.8-0.6 to Napoli, which would have included Elif Almas's shot that struck the bar in the first half. And of course, Empoli's goal came from a lucky bouncer and Gisa's headed clearance bounced off the back of Kutrona's head and ended up in the back of the goal. Back to Empoli's current form, prior to their 4-1 loss to Dineza, Empoli had only scored one goal in their previous five matches. Even the goal against Udinese was scored from the spot, and Pinamonti had two attempts to score it. It was actually a wild sequence. VAR awarded the penalty, Pinamonti was stopped, Bandinelli scored on the rebound and the goal was disallowed, but VAR ordered the penalty to be retaken, so after all of that, Empoli maintained their perfect record from the spot at 7 out of 7. Empoli have a few players out due to injury. Nicolas Haas, Lorenzo Tonelli, and Ricardo Marquizza are all out with ACL injuries, and 19-year-old striker Emmanuel De Kong is injured as well. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Aurelio Andreazzoli will line up in either a 4-3-1-2 or a 4-3-2-1, also known as the Christmas tree formation. Andreazzoli's squad is extremely difficult to predict because of how much he rotates. Guglielmo Vicario is one of the few consistent starters he will play in goal. I think we'll see Sebastiano Luperto and Simone Romagnoli at center back, though Mattia Viti does feature occasionally. Fabiano Parisi and Liberato Cacace share responsibilities at left back. I think Parisi will start. Meanwhile, Peter Stojanovic should start at right back. Most likely, Christian Aslani will start in the center of the midfield, but your guess is as good as mine in terms of who will start on either side of Aslani. Filippo Bandinelli and Simon Zerkowski seem to be the preferred options, and both can play on either side. However, I wouldn't be surprised if Marco Benassi started over Bandinelli. Bandinelli is on a suspension, so Andrea Zoli may choose to save him for Empoli's next match, which is against Torino. Given the opponent, I think Andrea Zoli will use Nedim Barami and Liam Henderson as the two trequartisti, and finally Andrea Pinamonti will start at striker. Napoli's starting 11 is also very difficult to predict this round. Normally I have a pretty good sense of who's going to start, but after the loss to Fiorentina and a draw to Roma, I'm a little bit unsure, so let's walk through it and see if we can't figure it out. Luciano Spalletti will either line up in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 formation. On Friday, David Ospina did some personalized work and some work in the group, so I was leaning towards Alex Meret to get his second consecutive start, but then on Saturday, Ospina completed the full group training, so in all likelihood, he will start in goal. 
Kalidou Koulibaly is suspended due to yellow card accumulation, so I think we'll see Juan Jesus and Amir Rachmani at center back. Now, the club reported on Wednesday that Jesus suffered a mild sprain to his right knee in training on Tuesday, but I suspect he will be fit to start. Otherwise, Axel Twanzebe would have to play. Mario Rui will start at left back, and with Giovanni Di Lorenzo still doing personalized training in the gym and on the field, I think Alessandro Zanoli will start again at right back. Stanislav Lobotka suffered a low-grade injury to his right hamstring against Roma, so he is expected to be out for a few weeks. So for that reason, I think we're going to play in a 4-2-3-1 with Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa and Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot. I think Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing, and I think it's a toss-up between Chucky Lozano and Matteo Politano for who will start on the right wing. Politano is well-rested for having not featured against Roma, but I think Spalletti will reward Lozano for his strong play in that Roma match with another start. I've given up hope on Spalletti playing Mertens in the number 10, plus with Fabian in the pivot, I think it might be a little bit too aggressive to play Mertens in the 10, so I think Piotr Zielinski will get the start. And finally, Victor Osimhen should play at striker. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is to go long to Victor if we're unable to play out of the press. This key to the match is a direct consequence of our first meeting with Empoli. One of the challenges we had in that match was that we couldn't play out of Empoli's high press, and as a result, we often conceded possession in our own half. Now, I think our insistence on trying to play out of the press in that match was largely because we didn't have OC men. As we saw at the end of the Roma match, Mertens is not the type of player that can chase the ball down and hold up play. That said, I do think we'll have more success playing out of the back in this match than we did in the first meeting. In the first meeting, we started a double pivot of Zielinski and Deme, whereas in this match, we'll either play in a 4-3-3 or we'll have Angisa and Fabian in the double pivot and I think it's fair to say that that pair is far more capable of playing out of the back. My second key to the match is to shoot early, shoot often, and most importantly, hit the target. I mentioned earlier that in our previous meeting we took 28 shot attempts. The problem was that only 6 of them hit the target. Notwithstanding that previous meeting, good things happen when you shoot the ball. Even if the shot is not destined for the back of the goal, the ball could take a deflection and then anything can happen. Empoli have scored four own goals this season, so that's a possibility. They could also inadvertently handle the ball in the area. Napoli's 12 penalty kicks this season are the most of any club in the top five European leagues. That's also the most penalty kicks we've been awarded in the ADL era. Insigne is two goals shy of tying Matic Hamsik for second most goal scored for Napoli, and it certainly seems like if he is going to catch Maticato, he'll have to do it from the penalty spot. Nine of the 11 goals he scored in all competitions this season have come from the spot. As you know, he has only one goal in Serie A from open play. Other than the 0-9-10 season, where Insigne made only one appearance as a stoppage time substitute, he's never scored fewer goals from open play in Serie A. My final key to the match is one I'm going to recycle from the Roma preview, which is that we need to be better at defending in transition. This has certainly been an issue for us over our last two matches when you consider the goals Fiorentina scored and then the goal that Roma scored. Empoli certainly have the players that can strike on the counter with the likes of Pinamonti, Bairami, and Bandinelli. Curiously, our defensive record has been better without Koulibaly in the squad than with him. Now, let me make it clear, I always want Koulibaly to be in the squad. I think our squad and our defense is significantly better when he is on the field. However, unbelievably, 
we have not recorded a single clean sheet in 11 matches since Koulibaly returned from AFCON. Meanwhile, Rachmani and Jesus collected 5 clean sheets while Koulibaly was out injured and at AFCON. Before people take that out of context though, they were also the center back pairing that lost to Spezia and Empoli. Hopefully we control this match from start to finish and that we don't have to do much defending at all. The good news is, without Koulibaly, I'd be very surprised to see a 5-3-2 or a 3-5-2 at any point in this match. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-0 Napoli win on a doppietta from Victor Osimhen, and I'll give the third goal to Lorenzo Insigne from the spot. With our poor home form, I think the players and the fans alike will welcome a trip to the Stadio Carlo Castellani. I'm sure Luciano Spalletti will enjoy spending a few days in his home of Toscana. It may actually sound like a home match though, all 6,000 tickets that were made available to the visiting fans have been sold. Napoli have the best away record in Serie A, though we only have one win in 8 away matches against Empoli. Meanwhile, Andrea Zoli, who was Spalletti's assistant at Udinese and Roma, has won 3 of his 4 matches against Napoli. Empoli have alternated wins and draws over their last 7 matches. Their loss to Udinese would suggest that this match would finish in a draw, but I think Napoli are going to put an end to a few of these trends. We're missing a few players, including possibly Elmas, who picked up an injury in training, but there is still a massive golf in quality between these two squads, and we absolutely must win this match if we are to retain the little hope that we have remaining of winning the Scudetto. So that will do for this preview, I hope you enjoy the match, that will also do for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore D5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. Be sure to check out our Twitter page for our latest Napolitan song of the week. This week's song is Cosang Vitabona. Cosang is a hip-hop band consisting of Nto and Luque, who were active from 1997 to 2012. They released their first studio album in 2005 called Kimore Pemeh, and it was entirely in Napolitan. That album was picked up by Universal Music Group, and shortly thereafter, Kosang were featured on the cover of Rumore magazine. They've got a number of great songs, both together and individually, after the group broke up, so be sure to check them out. I'll be back in a few days to review the match against Empoli, as well as to review our latest Primavera and Femenile matches, but until then... I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Sports Social Podcast Network.